Well, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Dennis Nagy. You want to come on down, Dennis? Oh, did you know you were preaching tonight? <laughs> a little shock in the face. <laughs> How many of you have heard Dennis preach before? I've heard him several times. And uh, I'll tell you what, he's a powerful preacher. And uh, last time he was here, he did a little Lord's Supper meditation that just blew me out of the water. And I so appreciated that. But this last year, December, I had the privilege of speaking at an men's camp down in Myrtle Beach. And he preached a sermon that, I mean, I don't, I don't get choked up too much at sermons. I'll get choked up about patriotic stuff, but it's kind of sad sermons, not so much. But I got choked up with this. Because have you ever found yourself in a circumstance where literally it was absolutely hopeless? The 11th hour had come and gone, and there was no hope. I don't think I've ever really been in a circumstance like that. But Dennis has. And the power that he brought, the message to the men, Myrtle Beach, the message that he's going to bring tonight, that I asked him to bring tonight. There may be circumstances in our future, brethren, that are as hopeless as what you are about to hear. And you can't lose hope. As you said, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, immovable, unshakable, immortal, eternal, and we are anchored in. And uh, the powerful message he preached, he's delivering tonight. So let's go to the best one. Steve said that he couldn't, uh, he had to put his glasses on because of age. Well, I'm a little older than he is, so I can't even use the glasses anymore. I have to use uh, number, what is this, 36. Okay. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> so, anyways. I really appreciate being here. I'm really looking forward to this uh, message. I was not looking forward to this message the first time I preached it at Myrtle Beach. Um, I was asked to bring this message because a lot of the people that were there, Joey Starkey in particular, Jim Berry, uh, went through some of, the, some of what I was going through. Uh, and they thought it was a valuable lesson. And I thought they were wrong. I says, you know, I don't mind talking about these things in private with somebody, but I really didn't want to make it a public thing. I, didn't, I don't like to talk about myself, and I have to talk about myself and about my family. It very difficult. So when I was asked to do that, I almost declined. But afterwards, um, when I seen the effect that it had on a lot of people, I thought it was a very valuable lesson, and I truly appreciate Bill asking me to bring this to you. So, I don't want to drive this out too long, but I would like to have Ken come up and pray for me, because he's been picking on me all evening. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I think this is a just way to get even. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I should have known. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again for the privilege that we have to gather here to gather around your word and to be blessed by it. And I pray tonight that you be with Dennis, that he delivers the word in a way that would make you proud and would make us uh, strong and uh, make us grow, be challenged, to better serve you. Uh, to you be the glory and the praise and the honor tonight. And forevermore, amen. amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, that's <laughs> All right.
So my message this evening is don't allow your circumstances to steal your hope. And change that a little bit because my message down in Myrtle Beach is don't allow your circumstances to steal your joy. There's really not much difference. If you have no hope, you have no joy. Amen. Right? Right? So it works out just great. I mean, I had to do a little bit of tweaking <laughs> um, to make it fit the theme. But God's got control of this. Okay? So we're going to look at this idea uh, of a hopeful heart, a joyful heart, one that's going to bring encouragement to one another. I don't know about you, but I know for a fact that circumstances have a tendency to wear at us a little bit, don't they? I heard of some things that were taking place on the way here. Um, those circumstances are fresh in some people's minds, and some of us, maybe it may be a little bit in the distance of things that have happened, and maybe you're going through them right now, but you also may be going through some things in the future. And what happens, and I'm, I'm kind of reminded of, you know, Joe, Joe, Everybody knows Job had some serious problems. And his attitude, his joy, his hope was in the Lord. And he proved he gave some encouraging words in Job, the 14th chapter, in verse 19. He says, water wears away stone. Its turns wash away the dust of the earth. So you destroy a man's hope. You forever overpower him and he departs. You change his appearance and send him away. Circumstances are like that water that wears away at a person. The circumstances in your life, every day you're going to be faced with a new challenge. I hate to tell you this, but it's just true. Every day you wake up, there is going to be another challenge that you have to deal with. Another circumstance in your life that is going to cause you to perhaps be worn away a little bit in your hope and your joy. You find it hard to remain hopeful. All the things that are going on in your life. Every one of us has something that we're going through. Now, my circumstances are not the same as yours. So when I bring this message, I'm trying to get you to understand that we're all in this together. Every one of us is going to go through something, and we need to build on one another. We need to trust in what God has given us the anchor of Sodom. It's his word, and that's his church. That's one another. So I want to talk about these circumstances. So I want to ask you the question. You don't have to shout it out to me. I want you to think about this. But what circumstances do you allow to steal your hope? Because we've all been there, wavering on it. You know, it's an onslaught of things going on around us. You know, this message is about your hope and about your circumstances. I'm going to use my illustration so that you can relate and understand that even in a hopeless case like Bill pointed out, if you stay silent, you can get through it. I want to talk about something that happened to me in 2015. My wife was, Marilyn, was uh, diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver. I don't know if too many of you understand what that is or how it works. Or, uh, I didn't. I had no clue. I had no clue as to what cirrhosis of the liver was. Neither did my wife. 
But we knew there was something wrong because of the way things had changed over the past couple of years before that, prior years. We didn't know what it was, and, and the doctors were misdiagnosing her consistently for a long time. Nobody was looking for this. And they would treat her for things that she wasn't, didn't need to be treated for. Never resolved the problem. It should have been taken care of years before it came to surface. But fortunately, one day in the ER, as Marilyn was laying there in excruciating pain and didn't think she was going to make it, the doctor, the emergency doctor at that time, diagnosed her with cirrhosis of the liver. It was the first encouragement that we had because before that, we had no idea of what was going on. She was living with these symptoms for years prior to the diagnosis. And we could see a change in her demeanor, and her attitude, her lifestyle, everything over a period of time. And the reason for that is, if you don't know, and I didn't know, so I'm going to try to enlighten you a little bit, um, the, what the liver does for a person. You hear about heart transplants, and you hear about you know kidneys, and you know all these here wonderful things that we're capable of doing today because God has given us the technology and the intelligence to be able to do that. You don't hear a lot about liver transplants. There's a great, great deal of them. Uh, and there, what happens is the liver regulates all the chemical levels in the blood and it excretes a product that's called bile. And this helps carry away the waste products from the liver, all the blood, leaving the stomach and the intestines goes through the, through the liver and is processed, and those toxic chemicals that are in that are removed. You think that's a big deal to have that part of your body functioning properly? Well, finally, because of this diagnosis, Marilyn was put on the liver transplant list. And that's a strange thing because there's more people needing that transplant than there is livers to provide for them. There's all kinds of things that have to happen to line up with what it gives you. So they put you on a transplant list and they make you wait until you get to be critical. Because there's such a shortage of the liver, they give it to the ones that are most critical. And then a lot of things evaluate this, well, your age, you know, uh, I don't want to go into all the, all the details, but they're, they're playing God and saying when you're going to be able to get this liver, if it's even available, because it has to be a right match. Marilyn was a very small person when she was diagnosed with this. And they needed to have a small liver. <laughs> so she was on this list for a long time. And in the process, I can see the change now. They're treating her for it. She has jobless. She's this, she's my golden girl. Okay. She was yellow from head to foot. She was retaining fluids. She went from about 120 pounds up to, by the end of it, almost 200 pounds. So that was all fluid. Her skin had expanded to the point where when she was laying there, fluid was just coming out of her skin. So it wasn't pretty. And to say the least, we weren't really full of joy at that time. And because we don't know the end, and we're just waiting patiently for months and months, it kind of wears on you, kind of like that water that wears away at the rock. It kind of wears away at your hope and your joy. But you know that you have to remain hopeful. You have to trust in the Lord. 
You know what you have to do, and it's so easy to say to somebody that's going through something, you just have to hang on and you have to hope. You have to hope. And we understand that. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. I don't want anybody to lie to themselves and think that when you're in that situation, it'll be, I'm strong, I'm victorious. I have the Lord on my side. And I can get through this. Yeah, in the beginning. But as time goes on, and your hope starts to fade. Joy was a difficult thing to have. Hope was scarce. So what do you do? What do you do when you're in a situation like that? You know, <clears throat> We got to the hospital the last time we went there. We had a meeting on the list, so we had a meeting at the hospital. If the liver became available, we had to be there within an hour, or they would give it to somebody else. We lived 45 minutes away from the hospital, so we had to be ready at all times. Everyone wanted to watch Paul so that when they would call, it was with her and we could get there. Well, she never made it that far for the phone call. She got so ill. I had to take her into the emergency and they kept her. We were there for about a month. I stayed right at her side in the bed. Never left. Made sure that the doctors and the nurses were doing everything that they could possibly do, and that I was watching her slowly deteriorate. I would rub her legs and her feet because they were in such pain because she was so swelled up for hours on end to try to bring comfort to her. After quite a long time, and I don't time frame kind of gets away when you're in the hospital for so long, you don't know how long you're there. Finally, my daughter, Tanya, was able to get away and come up there and give me a little bit of relief so that I can get out of that room quickly, because I absolutely literally did not leave that room for over a month. Tanya finally got there and brought a little bit of relief. She also brought some encouragement. Hope. She told me that Pleasant Hill was praying for me, Carolyn. I'd been on the phone with people from our congregation and other places, and I knew that they were praying for Maryland. I want to tell you something about prayer. When you're in a situation like that, there are times when those prayers from your brothers. Christ are really the only hope that you have. Don't ever think that those prayers aren't important. They give that person hope. You might not find much joy, but you can find hope. And I know that as time progressed in the hospital and here, Tanya and I were going back and forth and taking. Uh, switching, we, we finally got a room to stay in the Ronald McDonald house so that we could be there. And uh, I would sleep for a little while and then I would leave Tanya and she would do the same for me. And we would go back and forth for a while there for, I don't know how long that was, a few weeks, a month, the time when I just got away from me. But Tanya finally had to go home for a job. She couldn't stay there for very much longer. I was back there by myself with her. And then the waters of circumstances started wearing away at the hope again. Carla got to the point where she couldn't do anything anymore. She was just laying there, literally dying. One of the things that's interesting about the liver transplant process is you have to do everything that they tell you to do 
if you deny anything, if you deny any treatment or any medication or anything like that, you are off the transplant list. It's no longer available to you because they got a line of people waiting for that liver. And the doctor told us that they're going through a dry spell and there was no livers at all for, I don't know, probably a couple weeks there. There was just nothing. And she was getting sicker and weaker. Came to a point where she was moved from the back and forth from one place to the other as the all this toxic that was in her body was affecting some of her other organs. Her, her liver, her heart, and even her brain. Those toxic chemicals would go to the brain and it would have an effect on the person. Actually changed her personality. She got to the point where she was so swelled up and in so much pain that she couldn't take a shot anymore because it would be so painful they would shove that needle into her leg swelled up and it would just start squirting water and it would just be excruciating pain and she says and the nurse what happened was the nurse came in and said, I have to give you your shot. And she said, no, I don't want it. She wasn't even listening to her. She just walked up and shoved that needle into her. And she about lifted herself off the bed in pain and started to scream and yell. And she said, I don't want any more treatment. You know what that meant? She's off the transport. I stopped that nurse before she could go to the head nurse and talk to the head nurse and take her off the transplant list. I said, just give me a little bit of time. And I went down in the hallway and I started to pray. I believe somewhere in here, I'm getting the times mixed up, that I had a little prayer visual that day. And I I went down and I knew what was going to happen, that this was really the end. Because the doctor told me just prior to that, that day that she had maybe another day to live. And she needed this transplant now. But she can't be off the list because then the process starts all over again. It would have been too late. So when she did that, I thought it was over. My hope was at such a low point at that time, I had no idea what else I could do except to pray. I went down the hallway and I was sitting across from the cafeteria crying, something I had never done before, in desperate prayer to my Lord that something had to change. And the doctor that was treating her, woman doctor, one of the doctors, not the surgeon, but one of the doctors that had been treating her, that actually took a special notice in her, seeing me there, and came over and asked me what was happening. And I told her that she had asked not to be treated anymore. And she immediately says, does anybody else know that? And I said, only the one nurse. And she says, you just stay here, don't go nowhere so I can find you and I'll be back. And she went and she talked to the nurses and told them not to make that report yet. And she went and got a lady that had a liver transplant 20 years prior to that. She called her and had her come to the hospital to talk to Marilyn to encourage her to continue taking the treatment. And whatever her name was Donna Wolf, whatever her, whatever she said to her, made her say, okay, I'll take the treatments. 20 minutes later, the doctor came up to me and said, Marilyn has had another birthday. It technically puts her over the limit for what we would consider 
and she is so weak. I, she, he did not believe she would make it through the surgery. And I pleaded with him and said, I'll see what I can do. About another 20 minutes went past, and he came back and he says, I have no idea what's happening. He says, it's beyond my comprehension. I do not understand what is going on here. But this is his exact words. He says, it is raining livers. There was 12 people on that liver transplant that were waiting that were younger and more suited for the livers in Maryland and it was going to take 12 livers for her to get hers. And he said, I don't know what happened, but we got a perfect match and we got 12 livers. I'm prepping her right now for surgery. I think prayer offers hope. You think that at your last moment, when you just cannot imagine any other thing happening to bring you out of this, that you can make a difference with prayer? Well, if you don't, let me tell you, it works. My whole prayer life has changed because of what took place that day. Now, like I said, everybody here has their own story. They have their own circumstances. What I went through was horrible for me and for Marilyn and for my family. But what you're going through in your circumstances is just as horrible because it's happening to you. I want you to relate the idea of wherever you are and whatever desperate need you are of something or some help, that there is hope. Whenever something threatens you, don't give up. I remember as a child, I had a memory of my mother walking around the house saying, you're not going to steal my hope and my joy. And whenever she would say that, I knew there was something happening that I didn't know about. I was too young. I didn't know. But whatever threatened our family, whatever circumstances came around, my mother would walk around and declare, she isn't going to let me steal my joy or my hope. Well, my mother knew something. She knew that there was an enemy waiting to use her circumstances against her. When she made that declaration, she was saying that God is bigger than any problem that she was facing. She trusted God and found hope and joy in knowing that he was going to help her get through it. Not really. My mother didn't have any hope. She didn't know about joy because she had no hope. She was brought up in a religious system that gave no hope. I wasn't able to teach her what she needed to know. I was too young. I was following her example. When things would happen, I didn't have any hope as a child because I didn't know about God. <clears throat> Not the way I know about him today. I knew he existed. And I knew he would do a lot of things about him. Some of them weren't good. At least I didn't think they were. That old ogre that allowed terrible things to happen to people. See, we may not understand completely how God has or what God has in store for us. 
We don't know why he allows us to go through some of the things that we go through. We may never know those things this side of eternity. We may get a glimpse. But God's got a plan. He puts us where he wants us at the right time. So in the meantime, we have to rely on our faith and our hope to get us through whatever is being dished out. Now I used to think, and I and I started to blame the doctors, started to blame you know this person for whatever it was, whatever circumstance you find. You ever notice that you kind of blame somebody else for it? You don't want to take, you know, what, what else can it be? Somebody did this. Well, how do we prevent the enemy from using our circumstances against us? How do we run around, maybe, you know, maybe we should run around the house like that. Saying, you know, you're not going to steal my joy. You think that's going to work? Now, it probably wouldn't hurt to get a good attitude about it. But I don't think that's the answer we do. No. Probably not. So, I used to blame people. I always blame people for the problems that I had, the circumstances I found myself in. As I got older and I started studying the scripture, I didn't come to the Lord until I was 40 years old. I didn't know. What was causing these problems in my life? Kept blaming everybody else for things. But I realized something after I got reading a little bit of scripture and I had some good men that were there to help me drag me up out of the mire of this world. And I read a scripture that means so much to me, even more so today. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verse 12. You're all familiar with it. It says, For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our struggle is not against other people. Our struggle is against this spiritual force. And I read this scripture and read this scripture over and over and over again. And you know, the word of God is living and active. And you read it 10 times, you're going to find something new in it every time you read. And I finally read the last couple of verses, a couple of words there in that verse. It says, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Where are the heavenly places? Take a look around, brothers and sisters. That's the church. Heavenly places are here. You know where the war is being raged? In the church. We need to stand firm, right? We need to come together in prayer and encouragement. What does it tell us in Hebrews 10 chapter that we come together to lie? To encourage one another. To lift one another up, to help one another when we have no hope, when we're going through our struggles in our life. We have to have one another to help us in these times of need. Now we also have to realize that as much help as we are to one another, the Lord is still in control. Ultimately, it's His decision. But don't ever forget that our struggle is not against that other person. That person is being influenced by the same force that we're being influenced by and causing them to do things that they don't want to do. See, I realized that I was being won over by Satan and his schemes. My choices of, that I made in my circumstances were under my control. I can't blame nobody else for what I was thinking or what I was doing. I had to deal with it because it was my circumstances and it was my decision. And it kind of reminds me, when I think about it, of Genesis, the fourth chapter. And I think you're all familiar with that verse. In Genesis, the fourth chapter, we have the, the, the issue with Cain and Abel. 
Well, you know, <coughs> the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you don't do well, if you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. But notice what it says at the end, it says, but you, you must master your choice. You have to master it. I can just picture that scene with, with talking about painting pictures, you know, in our mind. Now, I've got this picture in my mind of Cain with his mob dragging on the dust, sucking up the dirt of the earth because he had just killed his brother and he didn't know what to do. His countenance was down. His face was dragging around and God was saying, why are you angry? If you're if you were mad at your brother, why didn't you do something about your offering? It wasn't your brother's fault that you offered the wrong offering. It was your responsibility. Get up, make yourself better, put on a happy face. Do it the right way. Give praise to God. You must master it. Well, long story short, while I was studying the scriptures, I found three important truths in the book of 1 Peter. And I think they can help us when we fight against the enemy who's trying to steal our hope and our joy. First scripture I want you to look at is 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, verse 8. And it's pretty clear here. He says, be sober. Be a sober spirit. Here's the key. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the real enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Bill gave us a great warning a little earlier. Don't go out by yourself. There's some lions out there. Right? And what is he doing? He's looking around for somebody to devour. I found it really interesting when I read this verse. He calls the devil a roaring lion. Why did he choose a roaring lion? Well, I started thinking about that, and you know, the devil was a, you know, described in different ways throughout the scripture. One of them in Ezekiel was described as being a lion. You know, he was described as being a cherubim, which had four heads, one of them being a lion. Why do you pick a lion? You know? Because the lion is always looking around for somebody that he can attack and devour. Who does he pick on? Who does the lion go after? Does he go after the big bull in the front? The big strong, the ones that are in the group? Why do we go out together? One that's by itself. One that's maybe weak. Maybe one that's countenance is down dragging in the dirt. That's the one that they go after. The weak, the lame. They're actually cowards. I think they're, you know, cowards in the mind, right? It's not going to attack the, the big one or the strong one. The one that's got confidence. The one that's got hope. You don't have hope. You don't have confidence. He's looking to devour. He's looking to crawl into your circumstances and cause all kinds of misery for you. So you need to stay alert, it says there. It says stay alert. The scripture tells us that we have an adversary that's waiting for that opportunity to attack us. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Satan can't cause us a life-threatening disease. Okay? I'm not saying that Satan brought that disease on Maryland. Circumstances happen in this world. Things that are just natural things that are going to take place. And we have to quit blaming people for all the things that go wrong. They're just going to happen. 
But what do we do with it when it happens? See, Satan is on a leash right now. He's not, he doesn't have the ability he once did. <laughs> He's on a leash. He can't kill you. He can cause all kinds of things to happen so that you, your countenance comes down, your hope fades, your joy is taken away, and then you become weak and vulnerable so that he can devour you. You know, Paul was given a, a thorn in the flesh, right? He tells us that in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Why would, who delivered that for? Well, you read that scripture, you see that it was Satan that did that. Then what did God do with that for? What did he do with it? He used that so that Paul wouldn't get too proud. Right? He used what Satan came to destroy Paul with. He used it to turn it around for the glory of his kingdom. Circumstances. <laughs> Probably got some back there. <laughs> so we have, you know, we have to understand that Satan is looking for these opportunities, and we got to be strong enough, and smart enough, and on alert for what he's going to do with those circumstances that he finds us in. Well, for Paul, Paul grew, right? And he says in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, in verse 17, I love this verse, this verse. you all know it. For momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all that you can comprehend. Hang in there, brothers and sisters, because there's glory at the end of this trial. Don't let your countenance do that. Be courageous. First Corinthians, I'll just, I'll, you'll love this. I know there's some men in here that are going to love this verse. First Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Right? We have to watch for those schemes. We have to be alert at all times. We can't let our countenance fall. We have to be positive that God is in control and that whatever the outcome is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond our power. By staying alert, we're able to recognize the attack of the enemy before he attacks. As soon as you come in contact and you see him coming, what are you going to do? What do you do when he comes? Well, it's a great thing to be on the alert. You go out there and walk by yourself and there's a lion out there. What are you going to do if you stop? Well, I'm alert. Well, I see him. <laughs> Now what? <laughs> right? Well, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, in verse 10, tells us this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his strength and in his might. Oh, you think you're a man and you're strong? Sometimes your strength is going to fail because you're a man. But see, God's strength is strong enough to get you through those really tough times. The really tough times. That's when you need to say what it tells us in Ephesians 6, chapter, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. Right? Nerd yourself up. Put on the armor of God that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's the only way it's going to happen. Keep in mind, Ephesians 6, chapter, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the rulers, against the powers, against the, the, the forces of darkness. And he's attacking the church. Does he care about the world? He's already got it. He's already devouring it. He's after you. He wants you when you're at your weakest point. So you got to seek the Lord immediately. Can't wait. 
As soon as you see the attack, as soon as you spot the lion, you got to do something. What do you do? First Peter 5, 7. Tells us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He's watching out. He's going to make sure that you're going to get through this. He loves you. More than you know. Ever you notice that the longer that you wait and fret about something, the bigger it becomes? That little thing becomes a mountain. That's why it's so important that we bring our worries and our anxieties before God as soon as we notice them. As soon as they present themselves to us, as soon as they come into view, we don't want to give any advantage to the adversary. He's already a worthy adversary. So we don't want to give him any opportunity to build and fire those fiery darts at us, those seeds of doubt, because that's what he does. He causes you to doubt. I, I used to talk about the three Bs of the devil. Doubt. You know what he did in the garden? Doubt. Then what comes next? Disobedience. Right? So follows disobedience. Doubt. Read these devil. He's using it in the garden, he's using it today. Same thing. The longer you wait and seek the Lord, the easier it is for that enemy to use your circumstances. <coughs> Bring to the Lord immediately. In prayer, to your brothers and sisters that can help you through, whatever it takes. But do something immediately. Don't procrastinate. Take the love to procrastinate. Resist the devil and the schemes. 1 Peter 5 9 says, But resist him, firm in your faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You know, when I read that the first time, I got, yeah, well, world. You know, I immediately thought the world, right? You know, that's really talking about us in the world. Okay? And we're all going through the same thing. What do we do when we go through these trials? Why did Maryland have to go through that? Why did I have to learn patience, which I don't have any of? I just want to let you know. I'm not patience. Okay. I learned patience as I sat there for months in the hospital. See, God has a plan, and we don't understand what it is. We got to look for that silver lining. Well, He taught me some lessons during those times. I need some valuable lessons that I can now do what, as it tells us in. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, when Peter is, uh, you know, talking about how great he's going to be on the throne, uh, ruling over all the nations of Israel, you know, and Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I, I prayed for you. Oh, that probably made him feel a little better. He's got Jesus on his side, right? But what did Jesus tell him? He says, that your faith might in other words, you're going to go through it. You're going to go through it. But don't let it drag you down. Don't let it take your hope away. And he says at the end, he says, and when you do, turn again. What does he say? Strengthen your brother. Right? Why do we go through these trials? So that we can strengthen one another. So that we can be an aid to the person that's suffering at the moment when they're suffering. Stand on the truth in God's word and refuse to let the enemy's lies rattle your faith. Stand on the truth. Our adversary is a worthy liar. He's a deceiver. And he'll try to get into you and cause you doubt if there's any hope for you or anything else. God's word is so powerful. It's a weapon against our enemy. When the enemy's darts come your way, you need to stand firm. 
want you to think about a song that really encourages me. I hope it will encourage you. Psalms 28, 7. It says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. In other words, my hope is in God. And then, what does he say? And I am helped. I love that. I am helped. Therefore, my heart is lost. And with my song, I shall thank. When you go through those trials and it's all over and you're done, then you go, man, I made it. What do you got to do? What's the next thing to do? Give praise to the Lord. He's the one that got you through it. Thank your brother to pray for you. Encourage him, help him to grow. Help them to have confidence and hope that it's going to be okay on the other side. We don't know where that is. It may not be in your lifetime. You know that when that water of doubt starts wearing away at your faith, it may not be in this lifetime, but keep the faith. Keep strong in the faith. What's the worst thing that they can do? I love dry bones. I love that. That's one of my favorite passages. That resurrected army. What have they got to be afraid of? What's going to happen? You going to kill me? Oh, I was already dead. Hey, that wasn't no big deal. <laughs> you know, I'm it's, I'm done with that now. Give me something else. Take the next punch, right? You got to realize that the Lord is in control. There will always be unfortunate circumstances to face in this world. There will always be. As long as we trudge through this life. The next time the enemy tries to use your situation to push us around, stand firm in your faith. Refuse to let him steal your hope and your joy. Whatever it is that we're facing, we have to have confidence that we can trust in the Lord. He's in control. He is our help and our refuge. Thank you.